Welcome to Day Beautiful's Digital Book Tour. This podcast series is a chance for authors to connect with readers after their book tours have been canceled due to the coronavirus. There's a lot of serious stuff going on in the world, but I hope this is a place where you can find new books and new authors to really enjoy during the time you might be self-isolated or social distancing. Any author, a debut author, or a seasoned veteran is welcome to join me on this digital book tour to read from their newest book and answer a short Q&A. That way, readers can really get to know the author and the ideas behind their book. My first guest is Celia Lasky, whose debut novel, Under the Rainbow, came out in early March and her entire tour was canceled. The book's about many things, but it takes place in the most homophobic town in America. Celia, I'm so sorry that your book tour was canceled. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. How's everything going on your end? Uh, all things considered, uh, I mean, at home, things don't feel actually that different from usual because I work from home generally and my wife works from home generally. So it kind of strangely feels like business as usual, um, even though I know that that's not the case outside of the house. Um, so, so things are just sort of strangely the same right now, but I have a feeling that it won't feel like that for long. Uh, I definitely understand that. Working from home the past few days has been, because that's something I I typically do, just not five straight days in a row. So we'll see how this week goes uh, if I start going stir crazy. Yeah, let me know how many days you wear the same pajamas. (laughs) So I had made a rule that I am changing my shirt every time, every day, because I want to make sure that I don't fall into that trap. That's a good rule. Yeah. That's a pretty, I think we should all follow that rule. Yeah, because I read if you're working from home, you should just get dressed like you were normally going out. And so I'm doing that. And it's it's helping. Oh, God, you're wearing real pants? No, sweatpants. But I'm wearing a shirt. So. <laughs> okay. Well, that's all that counts. I'm halfway there. Um, so we're here. Mm-hmm. I, I brought you on to talk about your book, Under the Rainbow, which came out, you know, in early March, a few weeks ago, a week and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um. And tell the readers a little bit about what Under the Rainbow is about. Yeah, so it's about what happens when a queer task force is sent into the most homophobic town in America, um, which I know sounds like it could be very bleak, but um, interestingly, a lot of readers have been telling me that they found it like sort of heartwarming and uplifting. And especially like right now during you know, quarantine, people have been saying that it's been doing that for them emotionally, which I found really interesting. Um, because, you know, I would never would have thought that my fictional most homophobic town in America would be considered like better than reality. So that's been interesting. Um, and the book, each chapter is written from the point of view of a different character. Um, some people are from the task force and some people are from the town. Um, so it's sort of like a novel in stories, technically. Um, part of this digital book tour is I want authors to read what they would have read, you know, in bookstores across America. So um, whenever you're ready, feel free to dive right into your reading and do what you would normally do on book tour. Great. Um, yeah, so I'm going to read just a very short bit. It's like just over four minutes. And it's right from the very beginning of the book. So that way I don't have to do any exposition for anyone. So um, I'll just dive right in. And this first chapter is from the point of view of Avery. I'm sitting in second period biology where I should be diagramming a chain of DNA, but instead I'm diagramming something way more fascinating. 
the back of Jake Stromer's neck. The spot where his light brown hair meets his suntanned skin looks like a bird in flight with two arches connecting in a V in the center. I imagine what it would be like to reach out and touch it, trailing my fingertips down to where his skin gradually pales at the rim of his gray frayed t-shirt. I'd pull the shirt off with my teeth, I'd rip it right in half, then I'd kiss my way down his spine, stopping at each bony knob. When I get to the two dimples at the base of his back, my heteroshame hits. Heteroshame, noun. Fear of coming out as heterosexual to your lesbian mom, who you know wishes you were a lesbian too. That's right, I'm a straight 15-year-old girl with moms who basically raised me like a dog show poodle to be the most perfect lesbian ever with just the right amount of feminist theory and false flannels and whale watching. Not that there's any whale watching here and not that my moms are even together anymore. A few weeks ago, I moved from Los Angeles with my mom, Karen, and my brother, Corey, to Big Bear, Kansas, a charming little hamlet of 10,000 people that has definitively been labeled the most homophobic town in the U.S. Try not to be too jealous. The most homophobic thing is for real. This huge LGBTQ nonprofit called Acceptance Across America had a whole process for how they narrowed it down. They started by looking at which states had the most hate crimes and conversion therapy and all that fun stuff. Then they combed through people's social media and saw who was dumb enough to, to publicly say things like, I hate faggots or choke on a dick, you dyke. Then once they had a few front runners, they visited the towns incognito to see what was up. Big Burr was the clear winner. Finally, in an exciting experiment to see if bigots can be transformed into reasonable people, Acceptance Across America sent a task force to actually live in Big Burr, a task force that my mom promptly volunteered to be the head of, which brings me to how I found myself in this classroom. I'm pretty sure they're hoping the task force will work like that old MTV show, The Real World. This is the true story of 15 queers and lefties picked to live in the most homophobic town in America to work with its residents and find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. We're supposed to stay in Big Burr for two fucking years. My other mom, Steph, was not down for the ride. She's the head of programming at Netflix and wasn't about to move to what she calls the Grundle of the United States. My mom fought nonstop for the six months before we left about whose work was more important with a capital I and whether my brother Corey and I would stay or go. Since Steph travels all the time for work, they decided we had to go with Karen. I threw a shit fit, which obviously didn't change the outcome, but Corey said he didn't mind going. He said he thought it was important to his development to experience how queer people are treated in other parts of the country. Did I mention Corey is essentially a 17-year-old Dan Savage? At our high school in LA, he had a column called The Fag Rag, and he starred in the theater group's renditions of The Birdcage and A Chorus Line. He and Karen are two peas. All of this is why I'm a little hesitant to be like, Hey, Karen, while I totally realize all the ways the patriarchy has held us down, and while I completely appreciate the female form on, a, on an objective level, when I fantasize in class, it's about guys, specifically Jake Stromer and how I'd like to lick his body up and down. And that's where I'm going to cut it off. 
Well, thank you so much for reading. Uh, I commend you for reading into your phone because I can't imagine how difficult that is. Oh, well, I have um, headphones in, so that helps. You're a professional. Awesome. Um, (laughs) So that was from the point of view of Avery, who's one of, like you said, the many, many characters. Um, And I do want to dive into the different characters, but I'm curious, what, how did Under the Rainbow get started? Where did the idea come from? Um, Yeah, so I grew up in a pretty small town in Maine. Um, Like, our house was entirely heated by a wood stove. And during hunting season, you would have to cover yourself from head to toe in orange, like neon orange, in order to not be shot. Um, Like, it was pretty rural, at least the part of town that I lived in. Um, And, you know, I definitely don't think it would have earned the title of most homophobic town in America, but it was very, very lacking in queer visibility. And I think, you know, a lot of small towns in the 90s were super lacking in queer visibility. So um, I didn't really realize I was gay until I was 23, which doesn't sound that old, but for me, it felt like a fucking eternity, you know? (laughs) Um, So... I think after I realized, you know, who I really am, it was sort of a hindsight is 2020 kind of thing. And I just thought all the time about, um, you know, if I could have realized it sooner, if I had had, um, you know, some vision of what a queer life could look like. And I think that's what the task force does for a lot of people in this town. So it was sort of written for younger me, I guess, Um, you know, but the idea that that this could help some people. Why set it, where did Big Burr come from? Why not set it in a fictional (laughs) town in Maine as opposed to Kansas? Uh, Yeah, so I was kind of thinking that Kansas is the midpoint of the country, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it sort of acts as a metaphor for like every town in America um, because I know the Midwest is its own place. Um, but, you know, setting it somewhere in the actual middle of the country seemed to be a good way to fictionalize it. Um, and it's funny that I had, I had actually originally thought about setting it in the South or, you know, somewhere where we have these more traditional ideas of homophobia. But, um, I just realized pretty quickly that I didn't have the local expertise, you know, to set it in a Southern state. Um, And so I landed on Kansas, um, like I said, because of that geographic um, nature. And then also, you know, Kansas does have some pretty bad um, laws and policies when it comes to LGBT people. So how did all of these different aspects, you know, the Alliance, Big Burr, the different voices, what came, I guess, what came first when you were actually plotting under the rainbow? Um, I would say that I came up, well, probably before I even came up with the idea for the book, I knew what the format was going to be. I knew that it was going to be novels and stories um, because I came up with the idea for the book before I went to my MFA program. And I was like in my late 20s at the time. And all I had ever written in my life were short stories. And Um, a novel just felt like this huge undertaking that I I didn't know how to tackle. So, but I also knew that once you finish a grad program, 
you generally need something more than just a book of short stories uh, to sell, you know? So I wanted to link them so that we could call it a novel. And um, so I think, yeah, that idea of the form came first. And then I came up with the idea um, for the actual book. And all of the individual characters, um, they just came on a really piecemeal basis. Um, like I think there were probably two of the characters that I knew that I wanted to write about going into the book. And then others just came to me throughout like the two year period that I spent writing the first draft of the book. Who were those original characters you knew you needed for the book? Um, so the first story I actually wrote from the book was Henry's story. Um, the guy whose wife, comes out unexpectedly after they've been married for 20 years. Um, and he, he was just a character that I had had in my head for a while. I had even thought about writing a book about him and having it be that um, not only his wife came out, but then like his two kids also turned out to be queer um, because that's sort of the story of one of my childhood friends is that, um, you know, both her and her sister and her mom are all queer. Um, and I sort of like always wondered what it was like to be um, like the dad in that situation, you know. Um, so that just sort of morphed into Henry's story. And then the other one that I knew I wanted to write was Avery. That was the second story I wrote um, just because, you know, I had this idea of what if we took the idea of gay shame and sort of flipped it? You know, what if you did grow up in this super queer saturated space and you were straight? Like, would you feel some of the pressures that queer people feel when they're a teenager? Yeah, that's one of the things that I had like written down when I was reading the book was just your grasp on all these different voices. And it makes sense that you had kind of approached it from that story perspective where each was individual resulting in a larger picture of this town and these people. Mm. And what, who was the easiest character for you once the ball got rolling? Hmm. Probably the easiest character was David. Um, and he's the one that's with Miguel and Miguel's father comes to live with them. Um, just because he's kind of bitchy you know, and he just kind of like says whatever's on his mind. And um, I just love writing characters like that. I think there's um, kind of a lot of my voice in in his story. So I would say that that one was probably the easiest. Um, and then unsurprisingly, Christine was one of the, the really hard ones. Uh, what made know, Christine to... so hard? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, writing about a homophobe, um, you know, I think once you come up with this conceit for a book, you have kind of forced yourself into a corner and you have to write about, you know, one of these homophobes in this town. Um, so, you know, just trying to uh, have empathy for her um, as myself, the writer, you know, um, and I think I got there eventually, or I, I hope that readers feel that I got there eventually, but it was, um, you know, definitely a struggle sometimes, especially working with my editor of like, you know, we have to make her more likable, um, you know, stuff like that. And once you, all these characters start coming into place, 
what was that editing process like to get you know the rhythm and flow of where each individual would tell their story throughout the novel yeah the editing process was intense um we ended up deleting a number of stories. We ended up adding a number of stories. We rearranged them a million times. Um, we worked a lot on having characters pop up again in other stories. Um, so like really seeing a lot of the characters more than it just in their individual story. And then probably the biggest change we made was towards the end when we sort of decided that there needed to be a big plot point near the middle of the book. Um, and that's at the end of Zach's story. So I, I won't spoil anything, but for people who have read the book, what happens at the end of Zach's story is sort of like what we added in to make readers feel like they want to keep going. And then um, I wrote the final story, um, Gabe's 10 years later story as a way to sort of bring everything together. And, and the book, it, it kicks off with Avery and she talks about the hetero shame idea and you give the definition that you read. Um, and so when I remember reading it and I was Googling it, I was like, is this a, a, a real term that's used for this? Where, <laughs> and then a lot of other things come up. Where did hetero shame come from? Oh, it's completely made up. It's just um, a term that I figured Avery would use um, for her specific situation. Um, so yeah, there's there's no actual basis for that. But like I said, I do kind of wonder if you were a straight kid growing up, like surrounded by queerness, if that is something you maybe would feel. Um, like my wife's therapist, he is in Brooklyn and he has a teenage kid and, you know, who goes to a Brooklyn school. And he said that it's considered like kind of uncool these days to, um, to be straight. Um, and his kid is in middle school. Um, so that the, the thought of that is like mind blowing, you know, for people who are our age, I think. Um, but you know, it's, it's, interesting to think about like what if things were flipped yeah i um i worked at a summer camp um in my early 20s and just seeing the next generation how they discuss things how they are open to different ideas and different viewpoints and different lifestyles and different sexualities and different religions is really like heartwarming in a lot of ways and i i, I like that idea of avery growing up in this this different world than you and i had grown up in yeah, and I do think it's, like, a really nice thought that all young people are, like, these progressive, you know, forward-thinking people. And I think that's probably true of a lot of kids growing up, you know, in cities or bigger places. But I will just say that I was a professor while I did my um, – or, you know, a TA – well, I did my MFA program, and that was at the University of New Mexico, and a lot of my students were really conservative, and that was, um, like, so eye-opening for me, because I, you know, I was always like, oh, the youth, you know, they're fine, they're progressive, and it was the first time I had actually been confronted with um, conservative youth. You're right, it <laughs> and is. And it was very chilling. Yes, it is hard to, to think about what's outside of the bubble, if you will. Um, yeah, because, you know, I lived in Phoenix for a really long time and 
Phoenix itself is pretty liberal, but the outside is very conservative, and it's mm-hmm. it's interesting depending on if you cross a street. Like that's how divided America is. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you for talking about your book. I want to keep these short, um, but I did want to ask um, if there's any books you have been reading or that have been on your radar to read now that you know we're we're in self isolation. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, right this moment, I'm reading The Leavers by Lisa Ko, which I should have read a long time ago. Um, I'm not that far into it, but I'm loving it. Um, and then books that I've read recently, um, I read Olive Again by Elizabeth Strout, which is like the sequel to Olive Kittredge, um, which was just as good as the original. Um, and I feel like I need to shout out that book because it was such um, like a Bible for me while I was writing my book. Um, so it was really great to sort of be immersed in that world again. Um, I read Real Life by Brandon Taylor recently, which... Um, I think quite lived up to the hype. Um, it was so good. It gave me a little bit of PTSD about, um, you know, my own experience in my grad program. Um, and then what else? Oh, if anyone has not read Red, White, and Royal Blue uh, by Casey McQuiston, um, I thought that was just incredible. Uh, and I feel like that is a book that you can get so immersed in that you will literally forget like what room you're even sitting in and you know the fact that we are <laughs> in this world that we're in so yeah I feel like if you want something that will really transport you go for that one I remember when that book came out last year all my friends were reading reading it and loved it and I have yet to pick it up so I think now is the time to do a curbside pickup for my local independent bookstore and finally read it yeah, it's so good. The sex scenes are just incredible. Like, I, I think she could teach a master class on um, sex scenes. Good. So I'm looking forward to look that. Look forward to that. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> well, that's it for Day Beautiful's first ever digital book tour. I hope to have quite a few of these up during the next month or so. That'll be March and April where authors will be reading from their books and answering a short Q&A. You can subscribe to the entire podcast which includes in-depth interviews with people like brandon taylor and emma copley eisenberg i finally found out i was pronouncing her middle name wrong on that entire first podcast i apologize to her so you go to daybeautiful.net slash podcast you can follow celia at twitter at twitter.com slash celia underscore lasky or her website celialasky.com i'll of course link to those in the show notes Hope you guys are all staying safe. Please social distance, self-isolate. If you can work from home, great. If you can't, please reach out to your friends and family and to me for help. Uh, Now's the time we're all in this together. And if you haven't voted yet, if your state hasn't voted yet, please vote. If you've already voted, we still have a lot more work to do. Stay safe, everyone.